Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit capital.com and start your trading journey today. Hey everyone, as we near the end of season one, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into the show. If you're enjoying these conversations, don't forget to share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who is looking for some inspiration. You can also leave me a review on Apple Podcast or tag me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Lulu Hazen. Welcome to Conversations with Lulu, a series of relaxed and candid discussions with entrepreneurs and business leaders who have become role models, primarily in the MENA region. My name is Lulu Khazan. I'm an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. It was such a delight to host Tara Rogers Ellis for episode 17. Tara is a PR and communications veteran with a career spanning over 25 years. She's currently the managing partner of Mojo, a PR and communications agency she co-founded with her partner Louise Medina in 2009 and became a partner to governments, multinationals, SMEs and startups from the Middle East, India, Africa, Turkey and Greece. In this episode, Tara shares stories of working with clients on reaching their BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. And she shares tips on how companies can leverage PR. We also learn about being a go-giver, the idea of giving more value to clients than what you receive in payment, an approach that Tara and her firm have adopted from day one. We started our conversations by talking about the influences in Tara's life, most notably her father, whom she describes as a progressive thinker who was ahead of his time. I probably learned quite a lot in different ways from my father. He was very active in my life in me not being limited by being a woman. I always felt that I could do whatever I wanted to do. How did that shape you initially as you were growing up as a teenager? What were like some of the values that he had instilled in you? I suppose to believe in myself, to decide what it was that I loved and to pursue it. My father said, okay, what is an area that has the thinnest glass ceiling for women? Because at that stage, the glass ceiling was very thick. And we eventually agreed on beauty as a route where women could be at the top. I, I took Estee Lauder as the example. Um, so I thought, yeah, I, would, I, I was interested in beauty, not from, from the actual craft of beauty, but from the business of it. So Tara did a course in beauty technology and learned how to mix and create skin formulations and do beauty treatments. She then started her career as a beauty therapist to get hands-on experience gain confidence, but more importantly, understand the psyche of customers. Shortly after, her entrepreneurial instincts kicked in and she launched a chain of nail bars, a hair removal salon, and an executive catering business. 
1993, Tara's family had an opportunity to move to Dubai, and she was thrilled. I grew up in South Africa in, in a time of apartheid. Um, my first husband worked for a multinational. Who, they had an office here, but South Africans were not allowed into the UAE until apartheid was finally legally abolished. So you weren't allowed to come, but then when it opened up... I couldn't wait to come. Why? Because I've always felt ashamed of being South African. I grew up in a very liberal family in the middle of apartheid. We were taught to reject it in all its shapes and forms. My grandparents never went to my parents' wedding because my father had chosen a black man as his best man. So I'd always grown up, quite frankly, being ashamed about having a white skin and the privilege that it brought without you doing anything. And I didn't agree with that. Upon arriving to Dubai, Tara found her passion in PR. And she went on to lead Weber Shandwick's operations in the region and then joined Dubai Duty Free, where she worked closely with its CEO, Cole McClellan, whose leadership style have become an inspiration to her. I think the thing that always has stuck out for me was that he was always the same. Okay. He was charming, friendly, warm, respectful, always. So, you know, if you heard him talking around the corner, you wouldn't know who he was talking to. Was he talking to the man who was cleaning the floor or was he talking to Sheikh Ahmed? It didn't... There was no difference, and I loved that. So he was... He's a humble... Totally. ...person... Just comfortable in his skin and That's just good very leadership, right? unbelievably good leadership. Mm. Consistency is everything in leadership, you know. And the other thing that he told me was to just always be nice and charming and you could still get what you wanted. He, I would sit in meetings with him and he would tell somebody to get lost, but in such a way that they didn't actually realize yeah. it until they'd left the building. <laughs> it's the how you do it and how you say it, not necessarily just the what you say. So you worked quite some time in the corporate world. You worked with Dubai GT3, with NBC Group. What was the most enjoyable part of your your job when you were still working as an employee in, in these big companies? I think in all of them, it was about building teams. That's what I love to do. So, I really love to do that. So bringing people that are relatively young and, and coaching them. And helping them, them yes helping them to shape themselves, helping them to see their talents and their particular gifts that they've been given. I've always said that my job in life is to hold up the mirror to other people because so often you can't see what your gifts are. It's so interesting that you say that because a lot of times we don't know what we're capable of. And even if you look very confident on the outside, a lot of times like on the inside, it's like barely... <laughs> barely hanging in there and you're holding it together. It's funny you mentioned when uh, when I saw you, you said you have a good voice. I, I never, ever liked my voice. And when I did the podcast, I had a couple of people coming and saying, you have a good voice. I'm like, really? So it's sometimes you just want someone to, to say these things for you. So building teams is definitely something exciting and could also make or break, right? Especially in when you have your own business. Actually, it's any business, Lulu. Honestly, our people are our biggest asset, and most big corporations couldn't run without people. Even if you're a big tech company, you know, you still need people. But they're not treated that way, though. 
This is the issue. This they're, is this was my biggest learning. Yeah, that what people are very dispensable. No, that people aren't. That if you that you can get the best out of people, that's what's important in life. And even in bad times, the numbers aren't going to do it for you. People are. So I feel very strongly about that. That culture is everything, and that was the beauty of being able to start our own business. Tara and Louise launched Mojo in 2009 and have worked with marquee clients, including Waitrose, Montblanc, Rackbank, the European Union, Johnson Johnson, and more. But beyond working with these clients, Tara's passion lied in building strong teams. You know, I have a very, very young team, and and we chose them. Yeah, we choose that kind of talent because we can learn from from people from as, as well, well as much. Yes, we consciously decided to be corporate and consumer. We didn't want to specialize in any one field because we had expertise across the board and because we also believe that if you understand the fundamentals of our craft, you can apply them to any industry. And we have team members who we make sure they work on a consumer account and on a corporate account. And I have lots of young girls come in and say, well, I love fashion and beauty, and that's all I want to do. And I say, uh-huh. And so then they will get a fashion or beauty client, but then they will also get a corporate client that is on energy. And then they won't really enjoy it. And then when I'll sit to them and I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, mm, it's fine, it's good. Some things are good, some things are not so good. And I say, are you learning? And they'll say, Yeah, actually, I can talk to my dad now about what the economy is doing and where the oil price is and what the impact is and what's happening in Saudi Arabia. I say, okay, you're going to stay on it. So for you, for it's important for them to develop in, uh, in, in different areas and not just necessarily an area. Absolutely, uh, for their own development, but also for our clients. Our team is informed about a lot more than just their industry. Yes, exactly. So they bring like a different... You know, even if you're selling a moisturizer in Saudi Arabia, understanding what's happening on the business level there, what's happening in retail or in pharmaceutical or in general economy-wise, what's happening there can help you understand Stand. Yeah. So you want your team to be well-rounded yeah. and you want to give your clients sort of a also well-rounded point yeah. of view, let's say, versus have someone maybe who the who's like a specialist in that industry that only sees that and it's quite narrow. Ones are too small for that. And, and what's your advice there to like people that are starting their businesses? How important was the first hire, let's say, for you or the first few? We were quite... Um, careful in how we did that. Uh, for us, we were more worried about taking somebody on and then not being able to pay them. That that would be far worse than us taking on the wrong person, for example. So we were made sure that we had enough revenue coming in to be able to cover the salary of that person for a year before we would take on our first employee. When we hire, and I would say this, this is us, we we look for attitude more than we look for their skills. Their, yeah, I mean, certain skills we look for. So can you communicate? So f for us, we would look at what your covering email is before we would look at your CV. Mm -hmm. um, and when we interview somebody, what you've done before, how mm -hmm. you speak about that would be much more interesting. Curiosity, a can-do approach, an interest, wanting to learn. Those are things that you can't 
you can't buy, you know. Do you have any any tips in, in terms of how to identify these things? Uh, when you're interviewing someone, do you go through like a, a process? Are there uh, types of tests or is it more they meet with several people in the company? Is it reference checks? Like what? It's a combination of all of those things. Okay. This is the beauty of having a partner like Louise because we are completely different. I am all about the people and intuition and feeling, and she is a very, very smart, very analytical. She has she has a different approach to everything, and together we are stronger. I, I don't believe that Mojo would be where it is if we didn't have Louise, if the the combination of us. So nice to hear that, by the way. It's like, such a strength. Like two co-founders, you, you, you know, you've even before this interview, you've spoken so highly of her already. I already have a great impression <laughs> of her. I haven't even met her. So, She's amazing. Uh, I guess that is also very important, right, to have this, you know, Critical. good chemistry. And so you have a proper division of labor. So let's say you handle a certain aspect of the business. And we've fallen naturally into where our, where we are most comfortable, but we work across the board and learn from each other. She, I will be, yeah, let's try this. I'm all about trying things. And she'll say, well, yeah, but how are we going to do it? And she, she just, she helps shape something she helps question in a different way and so just uh, the combination of it makes something much more powerful how do you deal with disagreements I'm sure you've had disagreements yes we have but not fundamentally dis- not fundamental disagreements okay. and um, we basically talk them out talk them out mm. Okay, so you try to resolve it on the day yeah. and, okay, like a good relationship, like a good marriage. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, actually. Partnerships it is. are... I mean, often in partnerships, you'll spend more time with each yes. other than you do with your yes. married spouses. So yeah. it's critical. So, so Mojo's been, you've started the business 11 years ago. So you started in 2009. You've grown it to a quite a sizable business. Mm-hmm. You work with big clients, with governments, with uh, large companies. You even told me now you work with uh, entrepreneurs, which is uh, great. Maybe is that your way to give back? No, give back in different ways, not with entrepreneurs. We give it, what we do do is always choose a nonprofit or some kind of initiative that needs support, and um, we send it out to our teams. Mm. Is there anything in particular that they feel passionate about that we can support? So we always are doing pro bono work. Absolutely. I read about. You're a a go-giver coach. Mm -hmm. Is this part of being a go-giver coach? I actually have a book here for you. So The Go-Giver is a book written by Bob Berg and John David Mann. It's a business book. Little, it's a parable, but it has five principles in it. And I read it just as we were starting to set up Mojo. The book resonated so strongly with me. I gave a copy to Louise, who's my business partner, and I said, I really love this book and the principles that it talks about, and I'd like for us to set up our business on these five principles. And she read it and agreed as well, and we've lived and breathed those principles ever since. And in a, in a nutshell, the In the a idea nutshell, is... the idea is um, that we give more in value than we take in payment at every single turn. So you will hear all our team members talking about 
being a go-giver. It doesn't mean that you're a charity. It means that you have the right to be paid for your services, but always give more in value than you take in payment. And and what does that do to your business? It means that even in, for example, the, in the situation with the pandemic now, mm-hmm. where so many budgets were cut, and our, even our long-standing clients have come and they said, we have to cut the budget. Um, what will that mean for our service and we said we will keep serving you at the same level so you're partners basically mm-hmm. and that's how we've always been and that's why we have clients that even when we no longer work with them will still recommend others to us we have recommendations of new clients to us from people that we met 11 years ago so you you take good care of your uh, employees you choose the right people and do you have the same filter for your clients absolutely what's what's your filter <laughs> what's your filter like for your clients first of all we take clients that we we love what they do mm-hmm. or we're happy to learn what they do there'll be some element of it that will interest us it's what interests us if we have confidence that we can deliver something that will make a difference to their business. If they understand what we are bringing to the party, that we're not just, we're not just a PR agency where you tell us we want 12 press releases and one event and three interviews. Okay. And we'll say, well, what are you wanting to achieve from a business perspective? Mm -hmm. That's what we need to know. We'll tell you what tools you need to get what you need. Mm -hmm. Don't tell us we need this this number of of press releases. Mm -hmm. It depends what you've got to say about something and how to use those. So there's still a lot of learning to understand about the efficacy and the value of. So a good PR agency basically is should be like a partner. Should absolutely be a partner and uh, should be at the boardroom table. Shouldn't be the last thing to think of. And do you usually work with like the CEOs of these businesses or or you work with the organization? The bottom line, if the CEO or the head of the organization hasn't bought into PR, the, your PR campaign will be a failure. It has to be bought in at mm-hmm. the top level. And it's not even an investment of money. It's an investment of time. Time. And what kind of like uh, good, let's say, goals should a company have to engage with a PR company? So what are the best practices? It really depends on what the objective is, but share what your objective is. So for us, we want to understand your business. And Mm -hmm. that's why we have one business, for example. We're not an agency that comes into a company and says, "Okay, what are your activities this month? What are you what are you going to be doing? And they say, oh, well, we've got one, you know, client event and we are opening a new factory. Mm. That for us is not of any interest. Our understanding is where do you want to go? We want to be acquired, for example, in Mm. three years. And this is where we're even talking with entrepreneurs. Mm. Don't tell us you want to be the first e-commerce site selling cupcakes in the Middle East, whatever it is. Mm. Just where do you want to be? I want to be acquired by Magnolia. Okay. (laughs) Then that's interesting for us because we put in the path in place, not only to get customers eating chocolate chip uh, cupcakes, but we're also getting out stories there and positioning you in a way so that you become of interest to somebody who might want to acquire you. Mm. And so you see the PR engagement as a long-term engagement. So this is not like it's not you know, something run. that you should do like at the start or maybe pre-IPO or pre-exit. or It depends. You can go in stages, Lulu. It's not that you have to. But yes, we would say long-term. And even if you are going to do it as a project stage, 
it has to be six months. Otherwise, we'd say, mm. save your money. We And we tell people that. Yeah. Save your money. You tell people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you don't, don't take uh, anyone. Like, no way. Even even if you had, like, the financial, for, even, let's like, say, if you were going through If somebody threw money and, at us. Yeah. Mm. You won't take it. No, because at the end of the day, if we don't succeed in delivering the results for them, it's bad reflection on us. Mm. We can't afford that. Money will come and money will go, but your reputation is everything. And you told me you've sacked clients. Mm-hmm. You actually like sack them, sack them. Yes. <laughs> like no, you're resignationless. <laughs> oh, you resign. Okay, so that's how you do it. Okay, so how how what's that process like internally? Obviously, there's a lot to weigh in, right? Mm-hmm. There's a huge financial mm-hmm. probably yes. impact. Uh, yeah. What are you gonna do yeah. with the people working yeah. on? At the end of the day, our people are everything, and our team is everything and they stand first. And even if they do something wrong, for example, Louise and I will stand up and we'll take the heat for anything that happens. But they will always be protected by us. We will take ownership of anything that ever goes wrong, whatever that situation is. And we would expect our clients to treat our team in the same way, with respect and as partners in whatever their business is. And sometimes in some of the bigger clients, leaders in an industry, the chemistry and the relationship we have with a person can change when that person leaves and another person comes into the role. And it's the nature of multinationals. Marketing directors, CEOs, there's a turnover of them. You know, they're on cycles and they move in and out. And sometimes the next one that comes in is fabulous and sometimes the next one that comes in isn't, you know. Or the person that they have now appointed in a team member perhaps doesn't know how to do their job very well. And sometimes when people don't know how to do their jobs very well, they get defensive, they attack, they blame, they do all sorts of things. And we have a very forgiving, generous team, and we will coach them through, you're a go-giver, help them, guide them, until there comes a stage where the situation is not healthy anymore, where I can see our, our team not feeling happy about working on it, where it just the balance of it changes and then that's not fair on our team and not fair on the morale of our business. And so, yeah, have we made those decisions? We've made them on more than one occasion. It's been scary. We'll have a discussion about it for quite a long time before we actually finally do it and our team will be shocked. And for a day, everyone will walk around in shock and our accountant will tell us, You're crazy. You're crazy. And we'll say, we'll find something else. And within two days, the team, there's a different atmosphere. They're all, and everybody is motivated and wanting to do different things. And other clients will come. When talking about cultures, for example, they talk about entrepreneurs, the best way to set the culture is by who you keep and who you fire. Because if you have a person who is, let's say, underperforming or who's being toxic or who's just the wrong fit and you keep them, then that's sending a strong signal Mm -hmm. that this behavior is going to be tolerated, Mm -hmm. even if you say we're all about people, we're all about culture and all of that stuff. But if you fire that person, or in in your case, fire a client, is the hard way, uh, obviously, but obviously sends also the right signals to everyone, including our employees. 
You mentioned uh, to me uh, at some point you said don't believe in your own PR. Why did you say that? Because I've seen too many CEOs that mistakenly believe their own P- PR. And, and they think what? They're, they're... They think that they're something special. Okay. But the PR is there to position you as... As a leader, as a visionary, yeah. but it's in a role that you have. doesn't mean you breathe different air to anybody else doesn't mean you're doing a favor to a journalist by giving them an interview. How, how is that? Oh, I've had CEOs tell them this publication should be paying me to do an interview with me. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you think about uh, podcasts, by the way? Well, I've been going on for about six years to Louise about let's start a podcast, yeah. let's start a yeah. podcast. <laughs> I love podcasts. I've always loved them. I feel it's a way for me to have an, uh, a relatively unscripted conversation, try to have something a bit more candid. I feel that a lot of the things that you read out there in the newspapers and the magazines are a press release. I mean, obviously, I, I mean, don't want to generalize. I mean, there's not a lot of investigative journalism yes, anywhere. It's not yes. encouraged here. But that's why, again, that's why I feel the podcast is a bit more personal. You can talk to the CEO. You can have a, you know. Podcasts often make people that wouldn't otherwise be accessible, accessible. Mm-hmm. So you will often have the opportunity to speak to people that might otherwise not do something. I think it's relatively easy to do. It doesn't feel as intimidating, perhaps, as other things. Mm. I mean, this is a great opportunity because we can see each other and talk to each other. When we do media training for people and they're going to do a radio interview, I always warn them that it's more difficult to do a radio interview than a TV interview because you are often behind a microphone. The person who's speaking to you isn't looking at you and engaging with you, and it's mm-hmm. quite disconcerting not to mm-hmm. get, not to get, you know, get the feedback. Yeah. And what happens is that generally people are really uncomfortable with silence, and they feel the need to fill it, yes. and then actually talking more than they would. Mm. <laughs> true, true, that's very true. So what's your advice then as an entrepreneur, as a veteran PR professional who's worked with so many different people? Let's start with entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. first. Advice would be that when you are developing not only your concept, because you might understand your concept, but when you craft your brand to not only think about it in terms of its visual guidelines. People know what my packaging is going to look like or my logo my color or my color, and, yeah. the name, all of those elements, but actually what your brand sounds like. So crafting your story and very few entrepreneurs how to t- know how to tell their story properly. They really need help and guidance to shape the words and the way you talk about it, how you, you explain it to anybody, whether it's as, as to an investor or whether it's your receptionist answering the telephone. Mm. There has to be a consistency in how you present it. And so understanding what your story is, what your vision is, what you stand for, because that is those are going to be your cornerstones, if you will, because you can always go back to them as a, a test point, actually. So be authentic. You have to be authentic because it will always come out. Mm-hmm. Always. You can't fake what you are. At some stage, the, it shows I always say run your own race, and I've seen this time and time again. We launched a, a very—she's got the one of the most successful e-commerce businesses in the region. 
excellent business, excellent. But after five years, there were other players in the market. And when you've been the first player in the market, you get used to being, I'm mm. the only one and I'm the first. And then other players come in and it can be very distracting. And I always say you can't run a race with your head over your shoulder. You won't run straight. <laughs> You'll affect your speed. Whereas if you understand who you are, what you stand for, what you want to deliver to your customers, focus on that. As frustrating as it can be if somebody else is copying mm. you, imitating, yeah. stealing, whatever they're doing, just focus on what you do best and do it even better. I want to I wanna wrap up with, uh, with a few short questions and get like your, your brief thoughts on, on them. Um, you and I had a chat earlier and you mentioned something about uh, work-life balance uh, and that basically uh, it's, it's a myth. Do you care to elaborate on that a little bit? How do you feel about work-life balance, you being a mom, uh, a wife, uh, a business owner? I think we put ourselves under so much pressure, particularly women, and trying to find that work-life balance because a lot of additional pressures fall on us. And I think it's an impossible task. And what we need to do is have an integrated life. And so I've always believed in my private life being part of my work life, so my children understanding what my office is and what my business is. When my daughter was at school in, when she was five years old and they were asked what they wanted to be when they were big, she was the only one who wanted to have an office like my mom. and a pot plant. And a pot plant? <laughs> pot plant. Pot plant, okay, and the office. <laughs> Okay. That's but fine. my children always understood that. Uh -huh. My son took his first steps in the press office of the Dubai Tennis Open. <laughs> that, well, just, that's, that's, that's a story there. And so it's equal for my team. Understand that there's balance in our lives. And I say to Louise and to any of our team members who have children, for example, mm -hmm. that yes, is, does life go on? Do you have a Christmas concert or something for your four-year-old? Yes, go. Mm -hmm. It won't come back. Work will always be here. Mm -hmm. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So instead of always trying to say, okay, now I'm going to put on my mum hat or now I'm going to put on my work hat, it has to just just life. It's life, yeah. Don't Otherwise, you make yourself so unhappy trying mm -hmm. to like separate them. What would you tell a younger Tara? If you had to do it all again, would you do the same? Do you think you're at the right place? Uh, or would you have like a different set of advice? No, I wouldn't have a different set of advice. The only, what I would tell myself is is to stop and put myself in someone else's shoes earlier than when I did learn to do that and understand that very little is directed at me personally. When you take a front to something, it's, it's not about us. Everybody's in their own place trying to wrestle with their own demons or work out their own way to succeed, and it's very little about our, us and that we are just there to serve. So feeling much more comfortable about doing that. Took me a while to Go learn giver. that. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you always wanted to be best, the be like the best, not necessarily the biggest, but the best. So what does that entail? Can you... Uh... Again, it's about that consistency, understanding what you want to stand for, 
what your purpose is and how you want to deliver it and just always being that. So that for we never wanted to be the biggest. We never wanted to have offices in every single city. Mm. But we wanted to give more in value than we take in payment and we wanted to grow the next generation of PR professionals. And that's what we've always focused on doing. If, if, uh, if I were to give you a billboard and say write a message on it for everyone to see, what's your message? To, put, to stop and put yourself in someone else's shoes before you react. So have empathy. We have to be careful with empathy. It becomes an overused word in a way. So just to just stop and put yourself in that person's shoes. How are they seeing this or why, why are they reacting to that? Because it's not about me. It's usually about them. And we can do that all the time. Even... Even when you have some idiot trying to cut in in the traffic Mm -hmm. and, okay, one more car in front of you is one more car, you know. Actually, you feel good about yourself. Yeah. (laughs) When you do something good or without any expectations. Any parting thoughts or final thoughts, anything you feel that we, you know, haven't covered or you'd like to... No, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great thing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it coming from you. I really enjoyed this, uh, Tara. Great advice. It's a gift to be here. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the show. I hope you found the advice beneficial and actionable. For collaborations and partnerships, drop me an email at lulu.chazen at gmail.com. I'll be back with the season finale in two weeks, so see you then. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.